We're going to continue the series uh, entitled Glow. I think this has been a really, not a fun, but meaningful series. And uh, I'm delighted to uh, pick this up and take it at least one more week. And I want to uh, focus on the topic of love this morning. If you take a look at uh, our theme verse for this series from Matthew chapter 5, uh, this is how it reads in the New Living Translation. You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. What a picture that gives us. City up on a mountaintop, glowing in the darkness, can't miss it, and it's that glow that Jesus wants from his church in the world today. We are to stand out for the light that shines from us. When you think about light or a glow, there's always a power source, right? Um, and uh, in our world today, it's mostly electricity. What would we do without electricity? Everything, all the lights and everything are powered by electricity. In Jesus' day, that wasn't the case, obviously. It was fire that created that light. They had little oil lamps that they would spread around the house. They used torches. But the, fire came, or the, the light came from the power source of fire. And uh, we've, uh, we've used the illustration of lightning bugs, which is pretty cool. Uh, I like these little guys. They're, even the blue ones are pretty nice, I think. I don't know how we get, got the blue ones, but uh, w- special, right? Special fireflies in Melbourne. Uh, fireflies have a power source as well. It's, it's a chemical reaction called bioluminescence that takes place that makes that light come from them. There's always a power source. So I was thinking about that. If we're the light of the world, what's the source of the power? And I've come to the conclusion the Bible is very clear that the power source for the light is love. And uh, as we, we're going to take a look at this morning, a look at love this morning uh, in this essence, but it, it is amazing how the love of God becomes the glow of his people, his, his children, and his church as we reflect his love and his light to the world. In fact, there's a great connection in the little book of 1 John. First chapter of 1 John says, God is light. And it goes on to talk about that a little bit. It says there's no darkness in him whatsoever. And if you're walking in darkness, then you're not entirely in God because there's no darkness there. It's all about light. When you get to chapter 4, it says an almost identical thing, except it says God is love. And it goes on and it, and it spells that out. You can't miss this linkage between God's light and his love. They are there. They're one and the same. And I want to talk about that love because it's a major theme of Scripture and help us understand how that becomes the glow for our, for our life as uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. What really got me thinking about this was um, when the team got back from El Salvador, I kept hearing this as sort of a theme. Uh, John was in the office the next day, and um, as you know, we sit back-to-back in this little hallway there. Most fun office experience I've ever had in my life. Uh, it's, I'm going to miss it when we get in the new building. Although John said he's going to move in, his off, in my office with me or whatever, so we, I, I don't know. But, you know, I was talking to John about how was the trip, you know, he and his family went, and he kept talking about, man, I, I have never experienced love like that before. I've never felt that kind of love. I've never received that kind of love. It was, so I just spent half the time crying. It just it moved him emotionally to experience that love. Talk, Noel came and sat with, uh, with us and was talking about the trip. And I'm going to share part of his story a little bit later on. But same thing. He kept talking about the love. And then I was sat with uh, Steve and Tamara Coral, who were the team leaders. 
and uh, just kind of got their report, their feedback on, on the trip. And Tamara said this. She said, the biggest lesson I learned on this trip was the power of love. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, you know, there were some specific examples of, of people that were just really resistant to the gospel. They wanted their kids in the program. You know, they're getting food. They're getting education. Their needs are being cared for. But some of the parents just, they want nothing to do with God, Jesus, church, any of that. And, you know, of course, we want to share the gospel with them. It's like hit a brick wall. And she said, so we just decided that's fine. We, we can still love them. And so we just started reaching out to them, talking to them, just showing them love. And she said it was amazing to see the hardness begin to soften. And she said that the amount of time that it took, that resistance just broke down. And before long, we knew these people are tears running down their face. They're reaching out to Jesus. They're, they're praying. They're embracing Christ. She said it was awesome to see the change that took place. And the only thing that we could attribute it to was they were responding to the love of God that was flowing th- through our hearts to them. And I got to thinking, you know, that's really what it is all about. I'm, from my own experience, from my reading of the Scripture, from what I've observed in church leadership, love is a powerful, powerful source. I want to take you to the main passage we're going to be looking at this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. I think that this is some of the best of Paul. And this is a prayer that he's praying for the church, not just for the church at Ephesus. I think for all of Jesus' followers. Let's look at verses 16 to 19. New Living Translation. I pray that from his, God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. And... I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. There's a progression taking place here. Okay, so he starts out talking about the Holy Spirit working within us. Now we're getting to the love part of it. Let your roots go down deep into his love. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. May you experience the love of Christ that is so great, you will never fully understand it. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. There's so much packed in there. You have to kind of stop and try to absorb it for a minute. And... uh, and I was wondering, how, how would I say that? How would I try to capture the key ideas that are in these verses? And this is what I came up with. As I looked at it in the original language, I realized there's three, con- three times a, a conjunction is used. And uh, each time it's, it's translated in some versions, in order that, in order that, in order that, in order that. And it kind of becomes the progression of ideas through these verses. It's, it's as though Paul is saying, I'm praying for you. And my prayer is that God's Spirit will do something absolutely amazing inside of you. And then it's almost as if he anticipates that he's begging the question. The question would be, why? Why are you praying that for me? And his response would be in verse 16, I'm praying that in order that you may have a love-based faith. In other words, I, I want you not only to believe in Christ, I want you to have this experience of love that becomes the core, the center of all of that. And then, again, you might be 
You, you, you might ask, why? Well, why, are you, why do you want me to have a love-based faith? And his response would be in verse 18, I want that in order that you be transformed by Christ's love. It's a powerful love. It's so forceful. It will change you. I want you to be transformed by Christ's love. Well, Paul, why do you want me to be transformed by Christ's love? And in verse 19, he'd say, in order that you live a full life. It's like he keeps driving this, this point, and, and he's progressing in it. I want, you, I want God's Spirit to work in you so that you'll have a love-based faith that will transform you, the love of Christ, in order that you have a full life in the fullness of God. So that's going to become my outline. I'm going to talk about those three things that I think these verses address. The first one is, to put it a little bit differently, love is the core of our faith. It, it is absolutely central to it all. The, the link between faith and love in the economy of God cannot be broken because if you break the link, you unplug the power source. And, and, and you lose both. You're not going to have, you're not going to experience the love nor the faith. You can't have one without the other. They go together. Let's re- review verses 16 and 17. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. So this is the result he wants. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. He cannot find language rich enough to convey this. But it's pretty powerful even in this form. What I love about verse 17 is that to me it's the summarization of all of the Christian faith. This is the gospel. It's as though this is an acorn that's going to yield a mighty oak. Everything that tree will ever become, if it lives to be 100, 150, 200 years of age or more, everything it will ever be is contained in that little acorn. And you can say the same thing about this. Look at it again. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust him. Trust and faith uh, linked together. He's talking about our faith. And the way that's expressed is that Jesus is more and more at home in us, and we're more and more at home with him, living in us. And that relationship grows, and it grows, and it grows. And if that's all it ever is, it's what God wants for us, that Jesus is just more and more at home in our hearts and in our life, the core, the center of everything that we know, do, and believe. And then he takes it a step further. May the roots, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. So this is how it happens. Just like the roots pull up the nourishment that that tree needs to sustain life, give it everything it needs, it's the soil of God's love that our roots go down into that feeds to us everything we will ever need to have the kind of life, the abundant life that God wants for us. It's a marvelous concept. In some translations... Uh, it's actually richer than this. It doesn't just talk about roots. It says something to the effect that you, may you be rooted and grounded in the love of God. So it's actually two illustrations. The roots are the one thing. So it's like a plant, a tree, with the roots going down into the soil. And so all of life comes from that. We're, it, we're enriched. Our, our life uh, 
is full because of the love of God that we're rooted in. And then there's the other word grounded, or better yet, it would be founded in love because it's talking about a building as the illustration with the foundation being love and everything about our life is built on that. So without the foundation of God's love, the rest of our, the rest of our lives are shaky at best and we're missing out on something. So he's saying, I just want this to be the heart of the matter. I want love to be the primary characteristic of your, your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing stuff. And when you think about it, that's really what Jesus said when he was asked, remember, uh, somebody questioned him, what's the greatest commandment that there ever was? Well, there are hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. And uh, in a sense, it was an attempt to trap Jesus, but his response was quick and it was clear. He said, the greatest commandment is simply this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The love factor is there. To the full, love to the full, God. And the second commandment, he says, by the way, is, is equal to it, and that is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you have Jesus summarizing for you what the whole, entire Scripture is all about, he's going to say it boils down to love. Love for God, love for other people. You can't get any, you just can't get it any simpler or any more powerful than that. In fact, the very nature of God is love. That's where it all goes. You look at the, the New Testament, I mean, go all the way to the book of Revelation, and there's another really almost startling statement there. In the first few chapters, he's uh, speaking to the seven churches. And I think it's in chapter 2 where he's talking to the, the church of Ephesus, and he's, he's saying to them, he's commending them first, and saying, you got your theology right? I mean, your whole belief system is solid, and your behaviors are good, you're acting like God's people, but I've got this problem with you. I have one thing against you, and that is you've left your what? Your first love. It's almost like he's saying, where's the glow? You know, your teaching is good. Your lifestyle is fine. But there's something missing that's really, really important, and that is this love of God that enriches all of our lives and makes us magnetic, drawing people, attracting people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something important is missing here. I think Jason has done a superb job throughout this series pointing out to us that in, in our society today, a lot of people perceive the church as being loveless in this way, more condemning, more judgmental, hypocritical in some ways, and they're saying to us the church needs to be more loving, and they're absolutely right. That is the case. We need to be more loving. But what we need to do is, along with that is to take a look at how we're defining love, right? Because we're talking about agape-style love. Uh, most of you probably are aware that there's more than one Greek word that's translated love in the English language in our Bible. We just have that one word, and man, do we work it hard. Love, we love this, we love that. I love cars. I love biscuits and gravy. I love hot dogs. You know, I love surfing. I mean, you, we just, we love anything imaginable. And when you look at it, when you break it down a little bit, it's like there's, different kinds of love, but we only have one word that kind of captures it all. That's not the case. There are at least four Greek words that are translated love, different aspects of love. Two of them are used repeatedly in the Bible, in the New Testament, philos or phileo and agape. Philos type love is brother, we, this city of, phil, of uh, love, brotherly love, Philadelphia, right? 
or philanthropy. Uh, philos love has to do with, um, with that tender affection that you feel. It's, uh, it's mostly human. It's between people. I mean, it's something deep, and it's meaningful, and it's powerful for us but it's a different kind of love. And then we have agape love, which is defined as, as an, act, an action-oriented love, unselfish action, something that I'm doing for the good of another person while it may not benefit me at all, but it's an agape-style love. And what's really cool about that to me, I was studying this out a little bit this week, and what I found was it's almost like the Christ, the, in the New Testament, the, the, the Christian believers redefined or repurposed that word agape because in the way that it's used in the New Testament, it's almost impossible to find that in ancient Greek uh, literature used in the same way. Jesus started talking about it as early as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and 6. So, you know, you've heard it said that you should love, uh, you love your neighbor or love your friend but hate your enemy, and he's saying, I'm telling you, there's a different kind of love. You should love your enemies, and he starts dealing with some of these various aspects. He's introducing a new way of defining agape love. We find it consi- the Christian church picked up on it, first century. You see it then begin to saturate the ideas. When Paul's writing about this, you look it up, it's agape love. You go to 1 John, it's agape love. They're talking about a different, and it's almost like for the last 2,000 years, that's, that definition is held there. It's been a special special kind of love that defines God and his relationship with us and our relationship with him and with one another. It's at a different level. It's an unselfish kind of love that's giving not to get something back, but just to express that love. Joan is, my wife Joan, likes to read romance novels. And occasionally she will say to me, you need to read this and hand me one. And it's like, okay, I get it. Not enough romance in our life. Uh, but whenever she asks me to do that, I, I, I do it. It's not my favorite kind of reading. But one of her uh, favorite authors is Nicholas Sparks. So I, I got a Sparks book uh, when we were on vacation this time. Here, you need to read this. So I, I read through it. It's a pretty good story, actually. But one line jumped out at me. And, uh, in fact, I wrote it down because it just stuck. He said, Love says more about the giver than the receiver. I don't know if that's true about every kind of love, but I do know it's true of agape love. It definitely says more about the giver than about the receiver. Because I can be undeserving of that love, but agape love is still going to reach out to me. It's going to relentlessly pursue me even when I don't deserve that. It's going to forgive me when I'm not worthy of that forgiveness. It's going to be patient with me when I'm not worthy of that patience. It's an incredible, rare, precious kind of love. So when the world is saying to us, you need to be more loving... I'm going to say amen to that. That's absolutely true. But let's us get it right, whether they understand it or not. Let's understand that that kind of love is the agape-style love that God has given to us and wants us to reflect. Like, like the moon reflects the light of the sun, we're to reflect the love of God, His pure kind of love to the world that's around us. Now, going back to 1 John 4, I mentioned that a moment ago. God is love. Please note, it does not say love is God. I mean, our mathematical minds, we tend to think if A uh, equals B, then B equals A, right? Well, that's not the case here. 
God is love, love is not God. And part of our problem is that we've defined God as love and He can't be contained to that alone because in verse uh, chapter 1, it says God is light as well. So we know He's not just that. He's pure love, but He's not only love. And if we say love is God, then what happens is we fall into our own definitions of what love is and by that we define who God is. He can't be limited to that. But it's a love that's incredible, and it's powerful, and it's life-changing, and it is the center of who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if uh, Jesus is looking down on us or his church today and saying, what happened to the glow? What, what happened? Where, where did that love go? Because it's to be the core of everything that we are. Let me move on to the second point. Not only is love the core of our faith, which becomes that glow, but it has the power to transform a life. And specifically, the love of Christ will change you. It's, it's forceful. It's powerful. Verse 18, once again, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, and deep his love really is. I'm not going to try to get into that. Some people have tried to explain, well, by long, the love of God is this, and by high, it's that. I'm not even going to tr- attempt to go there. But I want to focus on verse 19, the first part of it. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Contrast the words experience and understand, because that's the idea that Paul's wanting to get across here. You can fully experience the love of of God. You can never fully explain it. That's just the nature of it. I mean, Paul has done a pretty good job of uh, opening up our awareness and sensitivity to this. I'm falling far short. I mean, it's a tough message to preach because it's true. There just aren't words to express it in the way that we want to. And so it makes it feel less than what it actually is when we're just talking about it. But I do want to say this. It is possible to fully experience the love of Christ. And when you do, it will change you. I can remember in my own experience... uh, those times, we call it the presence of God, but that presence of God is so enriched by His love, it just gets inside of you, and it'll mess you up. Like, it's got the force of a hurricane. You know, those, those winds can rearrange your house and uh, turn your life into chaos, but the love of God, when it gets in you, will rearrange your heart. It'll, it'll change everything about how you think and feel and perceive. It is a force to be reckoned with, and it'll give you a purpose that you never had before in all of your experience. It's an amazing thing. The one thing that we pray again and again at Coastline is that you'll experience God's love. Jason called me um, earlier this morning before first service, said, I just want to pray with you uh, before church. And it just was, he didn't, he didn't know what I was going to be saying this morning. But he, he, part of his prayer was, God, I pray that every person that comes to Coastline today will experience God's love. It's just so in the culture, the DNA of this church like Paul. And uh, before service, Anthony was back here with the worship team, and they prayed before coming on stage. And I noted in his prayer, I pray that everybody will experience God's love in this place today. I mean, that's that's... 
who we are as a church. That's what we want more than anything. I've talked to some of you, and I've heard people say, you know, because one of my favorite questions is, how long have you been going to Coastline? And I always get an answer like, well, I started at the house, or I started at Hilton, or I started at who? Nobody ever gives me a date. They just tell me the location of the church. But I've heard people say, you know, the first moment I walked through the door, I felt something. I felt love like I hadn't felt before, and that's why I'm here. And I'm saying that's it. That is it. I believe it is something that we can feel and we can experience better than we can teach and talk about. It's just a powerful thing that's God's gift to us. It'll change your life. From time to time when we're um, talking about missions trips, um, well-intentioned people will say, why don't we just send the money over there to that country, those people? I mean, it costs so much to do these trips, airfare, hotels, food, plus people are taking time off, work, and all of that. Why don't we just send? They could do so much more with that money if we just sent them all that. And, and I know the, the intentions are good, but it misses the entire point. Because the real point is to go and love some people in a way that you can't do by sending them a check. It just can't happen. Uh, I mentioned Noel earlier. He was one of those guys. He sponsors a child, nine-year-old girl in El Salvador, and uh, faithful and sending his money, and they correspond and all that good stuff. And uh, Noel signed up for the trip, and then he started having second thoughts about it. And uh, and that's kind of where he landed. I. I, I don't think I'm going to go. I'm just, I'm just going to write. I know what the trip would cost me. I'm just going to send that money, and so much more good can come of that. And we kept saying to him, Noel, no, 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 you've got you to go. Do it one, one time so you understand what this is all about. Well, change him. It wrecked him. Talk to, talk to him about it. This nine-year-old girl, he knew that uh, her father had abandoned her uh, as an infant, had never been a part of her life. So when he gets down there, um, he meets this little girl, and, and by the way, she wants to be in the medical profession because she wants to be like him. So he took her backpack of all, all kind of little medical supplies and stuff. So she's just thrilled. She's, I'm so happy to finally meet you. And uh, there's some family members there, her mom, and there's this man. She's introducing people. And uh, she said to him, I'm just, I finally met my, my father, my papa. And, uh, and Noel was wanting to be respectful of the situation. There was a gentleman there. And so he said to her um, wisely, um, yes, now you have two fathers. And she thought for a moment, and she said, yes, you're right. I have God, and I have you. And uh, you can't listen to him tell the story without tearing up because an amazing exchange of love started at that point that he hadn't experienced before. And he came home being a new papa to a nine-year-old El Salvadoran young lady that will always be a part of his life. It's changed something inside of him. Certainly changed it. You can't do that by sending a bucket of money anywhere. It's, it's the love that makes the difference. And that's why God wants us not just to come and to listen to a bunch of words and sing some songs, but to experience something that we cannot even fully understand, but so powerful, it changes us from the inside out. We know if you experience the love of God, it will change your heart. It will change your perspective on life. It'll change the way you look at other people that you don't even like right now. 
It's, it's incredible, that love. And what's really cool is we get to see this every Thursday here uh, back with the food pantry. Uh, we've got a great group of volunteers. They prepare a hot meal. They welcome our guests off the street. They package up groceries. They give them whatever we can to, uh, to help them. And uh, I, I saw an email a couple weeks ago, Kathy Mateka sent out after, after the uh, food pantry day. And she said, we had 15 guests come through today, and we served them a nice hot meal and gave them food. But she said, I heard the same thing I do over and over every week, and that is thank you for the food and thank you for the love. And that, that's really getting to the heart of this thing. I mean, we serve the food, but there's a, there's a motive behind it, and that is to have that face-to-face encounter. We could send people. I mean, there's other people. Uh, organizations in the area that feed people. We could just send them there, but we would miss that opportunity for us to put an arm around people, for us to look them in the eye, to talk to them, to show them respect, to give them some love, to meet their needs. That's really what God wants for because that's what gets inside of people and begins to work its magic that results in a transformation of their lives. Uh, maybe you've heard me say it before. I'm pretty convinced after working with uh, people for over 30 years that the best predictor of what somebody will do in the future is what they've done in the past. If you know their history, you can kind of predict their future under certain circumstances. I've seen it happen again and again because that's human nature. But that said, it leaves out the God factor. And the God factor is this kind of love that Paul's praying would get inside of us and change everything about us. Because when that happens, what, what you will do is unpredictable. It's God at work in you and through you for the good of others, doing unselfish acts of kindness that otherwise you would never be inclined to do. Transformational love. I'm going to wrap it up with this third point. Those that are serving communion or worship team, if you'd please take your places. This is the third point, and it's going to be my briefest one this morning. Love is the unequaled guarantor of a full life. You want a full life? There is nothing guaranteed that will get you there like the kind of agape love that you will experience from God and from his people. Ephesians 3.19, second half of the verse reads, then, when all these other things are in place, then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And I love the way Paul stacks the words up three times in this short statement. He uses the word full or fullness. It's as though the redundancy has its own power. And he's saying, I want your life to be filled to the full with the fullness of God. How can you say it any differently from that? I just, I want to fill you up until it spills out of your ears. The love of God that will fill up your life. It's an amazing love and it's, Love is the umbrella term for all of these other things that we talk about in the faith, but, but they're all expressions of love. We've talked about scandalous grace. The, the prodigal son who got welcomed home in such a scandalous fashion, it's like his older brother couldn't even stand the sight of it. It's the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and Jesus shows 
her mercy in spite of all the religious people that are standing around screaming for judgment. Amazing grace. It's forgiveness. One of of the most powerful examples of forgiveness I've ever personally experienced was when my kids were little. Um, Joan bought uh, Melissa a whole array of colorful headbands. And she's real girly, and she loved that stuff. And uh, I think she was probably about six or seven at the time, and her son Brad was about four. And Brad loved the the headbands too because they had a really nice snap to them. And so these headbands kept turning up in two pieces or three or four all around the house. And I remember I was sitting in the living room one day, and Melissa came in holding one in two pieces, tears in her, on her cheeks. And she said, when Brad was in the room, and she said to him, Brad, this was my favorite color. And his eyes sparkled. It's like, I got the good one. <laughs> And the smile on his face, you know, I was ready to reprimand him. But before the words came out of my mouth, Melissa looked at him and she said, but I forgive you. And I sat there almost stunned as I saw the expression on Brad's face change. And then I saw a little tear come down his cheek. And he said, I'm sorry. Something happened. There was truly a man... And that's what love is like when it comes forth in that expression of forgiveness to us that's completely undeserved and unexpected. In that moment, it's like you feel something that you couldn't have felt. It's the mercy of God. It's the relentless pursuit of God. It's His patience with us. It's all of those expressions of love that are the fullness of who He is. They they just come like a wave after wave into our lives, and they wash over us until we can no longer resist the power of the change that it brings to us. It's an amazing thing. It's the unequaled guarantor of a full life. And that's what God is saying to us. I I want you to have a full life, and I'm going to deliver it to you through love. And I just want to end with this this morning. I I, I don't know what's going on in your life, what circumstances you may be facing right now, but I can promise you this one thing. If there is no emptiness in your life today that cannot be filled with love. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Because God's love will overshadow those circumstances. In fact, the circumstances will look differently through the light of His love. No matter what you're facing with relationship with another person, the love of God in you. The Bible says we love because He first loved us. His love changes us so much we're able to actually give love. We're incapable of giving before His love. Let's bow our heads together. Before we distribute and receive communion, I'd like to pray with you. And as we do every week, I just want to ask you, have you invited Jesus Christ into your life? Because that's the starting point. When we invite Jesus in, He comes with His love. He does His work inside of us. Changes, it changes our interpretation of our past. In many ways, it erases things that were painful and destructive and brings in a newness of life and fullness we couldn't experience without Him. 
If you haven't done it before, I invite you this morning to ask Jesus into your life. And I'd like to pray with you. Would you just slip up your hands and say, Pastor Steve, pray with me. I want to invite Christ into my life today. Anywhere in this place. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? I'm opening my life to Christ. Maybe there's some emptiness there. I want Jesus to fill that emptiness with his love this morning. Anyone else before we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us, for bringing us a love that we cannot experience apart from you. And I pray, Lord, for this precious lady this morning that you would do something inside of her that will turn out to be the greatest miracle of her life. The experience of love is unequaled by anything else that could possibly come our way. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the sacrifice that's behind that. And thank you for the persistence that you've shown in reaching out to us with your great love. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.